Welcome to American Players Theater Talkbacks to Go. I'm Buzz Kemper, and I invite you to take a walk up the hill with Orange Schroeder and me, as Orange talks with director James Bonin and actor Melissa Pereira about APT's 2018 production of As You Like It by William Shakespeare. We're here to discuss Shakespeare's As You Like It, and I have with me James Bonin, the director, and uh, our Rosalind this year, Melissa. And we'd like to talk uh, a little bit to start out with by discussing the time and place uh, that you chose for the setting of the production, James. Well, it's set in uh, France in the 1870s, and for no particular reason other than uh, Shakespeare talks about France early in the play three or four times, and he frequently would move his plays away from England in order to give himself some protection in case anyone took offense from from some of the things. There's many, many, many sort of veiled references in Shakespeare's plays to particular people, to particular political events in that moment that no longer resonate for us, but they were clearly obvious to the people in London listening to them. And sometimes at APT, um, you know, depending on what other plays are being done, you you want you may, you know you'll, you'll you'll land a play someplace in order to provide just a different look for the audience. I think a lot of us wanted to do plays in the twentieth century, you know, set them in the twentieth century or twenty first century because there's so much going on politically right now. But uh, I just this gives the play a little distance. It allows the audience to not feel like we're stamping it with some particular idea. And it allows for a kind of fluidity in the play that I think is, you know, and it's a play of ideas that's, that's so rich that I think that it's, it's actually, I wish I'd realized this the only other time I did it 19 years ago, to have a kind of neutral feeling about it gives it much more freedom of expression. And what about the costume design? Um, what, what does that period bring to us? Oh, it, it's, it's great silhouettes for the women early in the play when they're in the city, and then, there's, then, they, then all the foresters have this kind of late Victorian view of, you know, they look like, uh, I don't know, Eddie Bauer commercials or something, <laughs> but uh, but it's uh, it really I, I'm finding it very freeing in a way. So it just kind of sets the language up and the ideas up in a really great way. And it has. I that, hope that turns out to be true. And it has that division between the city and and right. the country, which is perfect for APT. Oh yeah, I mean this is a wonderful play for you know for an outdoor theater. You know I think as I you know this and, and Midsummer are the sort of two classic plays about the potency of the woods and the potency of, of the other place that frees you to transform yourself into something else. And, and we are uniquely fortunate in being able to see it in the woods, whereas right. in Shakespeare's time, of course, it was right. done in the city. Some dank, fetid theater. <laughs> <laughs> dank and fetid are not words that are often associated with APT, <laughs> happily. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and one of the other changes, uh, Melissa, is, of course, in Shakespeare's time, the uh, women's roles would have been played by men, and there's a lot of gender fluidity in this production. What can you tell us about that? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, boring, right? I'm so excited I get to do it <laughs> now. That, that they don't have to do it anymore. I got it. Um, but no, the, I think that question is at the crux of a lot of, um, of everybody's humanity today. Um, so I think 
that Rosalind was a revolutionary then, played by a man, and that she's a revolutionary now, played by a woman, and that she will be, regardless of who she is played by all the time. Like it, so I think um, that she's, this happens because she is able to transcend gender in a way, and on her path to love. Um, I don't think that it matters what she wears if she wants to wear it, uh, as long as she finds her truth. And I think that that's a journey that I am so interesting, interested in uh, discovering and figuring out, along with James, about what it means to, you know, every every person plays a different role, right? So every man, <laughs> what is what is the line, right? <laughs> Can, can anybody remember? <laughs> play, we play many parts, yeah. and so I think oh, that Rosalind. Geez. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, every man in his age plays, plays many parts, right? right? Am I quoting that right? Yes. Um, Close. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that Rosalind is definitely the part of yeah part of that um, of that story and of that journey of figuring out what love means. And James, talking about what love means, what does what does marriage mean in this play? Sometimes love and marriage are in tandem. Yes, I, uh, let's hope so. That's, uh, <laughs> but uh, well, there are four marriages at the end of the play, which is more marriages that happen in any other Shakespeare play. Uh, we kind of think of them as uh, three marriages that probably ought to happen on some level and one marriage that is a little perplexing and as uh, Jake Wee says, is only victualed for two months. Uh, but, it's, but I think that's part of the great issue of love and marriage in the play, is that every, after, after every beautiful, beautiful scene you get between Rosalind and Orlando, you get a ludicrous scene between Touchstone and Audrey, you know, which is all about lust and you know, kind of just cutting loose from any kind of convention. Uh, and there's a kind of violent sexual collision of the country and the court between Touchstone and Audrey, whereas I think in the other love situations or the marriage situations, the, they're more, um, they're yearning for a, for a kind of um, connection that I think whatever sexuality that may mean is something that most people can understand that is a, a yearning that most of us have at some point in our lives. And how do you and Orlando prepare for your roles together? I mean, is that something that you talk about? Well, we're great friends. Me and Chris Glopatic, who's playing Orlando, we go way back. Uh, so he was my um, Romeo when the first time that I played, played Juliet. I was on tour with the Utah Shakespeare Festival. We worked at Utah uh, several summers together as well. He played Custard. I played Moth. Um, we played. We did Boeing Boeing together. Um, as well. So we, we go back. So I think we have great chemistry. I think um, we listen to each other as best as we can. And that's where we are in the process right now. How do we get better and better at listening to each other? And I think that it's really great to get to do a play like this with somebody who I already have a great relationship with in my personal life to be able to really help these characters transcend and bring the kind of, I think, love that that needs to be represented on the stage so I don't know that I can that I have a way to prepare for that uh, that I can say in 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> a lifetime but, right, but, right but they that accelerates the process for all for the three of us 
because they already have a common language of working and they have the thing that when you're doing a play about love, it's the hardest thing to do with strangers, which is trust that someone will respect you and care for you and care for the way you work. So if that's been taken off the table, we can just jump right in and they can provoke each other because they feel safe <laughs> with each other. And, and that's a huge uh, gift that you don't often get. I mean, it, it happens more often in a repertory company like this, but Chris is not part of the company. It's just that they had a long history. And Melissa told me before auditions that, 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 that she knew him and cared for him. And so that was, I, I, at my age, of course, I forget those things immediately. <laughs> but, but it turned out to be a happy accident that that's what ended up with the casting. But it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's very, very nice. And it's, it's a real pleasure to watch them work. And I wanted to ask about your comment uh, that you made earlier about um, As You Like It being uh, the most Shavian or George Bernard Shaw-like of all of Shakespeare's work. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Well, I mean, I had recently done Man and Superman for the third time, and uh, which is a play of, of wonderfully rich love argument. And it, it, struck, it strikes me that in this play of Shakespeare's, which is you know, one of the last comedies he wrote, one of the last pure comedies he wrote, this in Twelfth Night, which, and I think of them as the two richest comedies because he, this in particular, he takes most of the event out of the play. I mean, most of the event of the play <clears throat> happens quite early with Rosalind's banishment, Spoiler alert, and uh, many other, and a few other things that happen. So that, so that for the great majority of the play, what you get are these very rich, complicated arguments that he never judges. He just presents the arguments and lets you sit in the audience and listen hard and try to get what the point is. But he, but he, you know, there's so many permutations about love and about transformation, but there isn't a war going on. There isn't some, you know, once they're in the woods. You just listen to these wonderfully active arguments, and, you know, and so that the, so that when I say nothing's going on, it's actually a huge amount of things going on, but they're going on in the heart and in the head, and and they don't have to worry about anything but engaging with each other when they happen to come across each other in the forest. So it's as if we're sitting at a crossroads and we just keep, these conversations just keep happening in front of us between city and country and love and all of the ways that, and, and you know, for, for Rosalind's journey of transformation is, you know, it's just an astonishing piece of writing, I think. It's, it's a, and again, not to put too fine a point on it, but, but doing it, coming to a after 20 years and at a, a, an age of, um, shall we say, uh, peering into the door of, uh, of being elderly, uh, it's, uh, it really means so much more to me now. And I can talk about it in a different way. And now I'm going to stop talking about it so that <laughs> Melissa can talk about it. No, well, there's just so much, there's so much room up for growth in the play. There just is because you're in the woods. And I can testify to that. I mean, I've... I lived. In, I live in Spring Green now, and I can say that that does something different to my brain than than what happens when I am elsewhere in a different city. I, the way in which I can focus on what I'm doing in this town is really astonishing. I'm always surprised by it. I think it's because we're surrounded by nature, we're surrounded by water, and it always reminds me that, you know, as 
uh, as I will come and go, these beautiful things will continue to go on without me and live. And I think this play for me is is a meditation on on love and in which I get to talk about why these things come and go inside of me, right? The current within her. And I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very moved by that. Um, but yeah, I think there's just so much room. There's so much room for growth because we're in a place in which there are no other distractions and we have the time to have these conversations and to actually, yeah, delve into some questions that neither of them have had the answers for, uh, but they, they search because there's time for it. And I wish that, I hope for myself, that I always have time to discuss those kinds of things that they get to do in the woods. Well, and the time is a character in the play, as it is in most of Shakespeare's great, greatest plays. But they're always talking about the wheel of fortune and mutability and changeability and love's elasticity. And it's, uh, I mean, Shakespeare was obsessed by time. Uh, by its fleetingness, and by I mean, one of the most famous little sequences in the play is Rosalind flirting by describing four different ways that time moves. Uh, but I mean, all of Shakespeare's great plays deal in time in that way, and I think that what Melissa just said about living in the in this kind of a place where time does seem to quiet it does allow you to see things differently, see the world differently. And Rosalind gets to say, time is the old justice that examines all such offenders and let time try. And I just love that. Time, yeah, time will figure out who we are. It will show us who we are. Well, thank you both for taking the time to talk with me about this wonderful play today. Thank you. Talkbacks to Go is a production of Orange Tree Imports and Audio for the Arts. Our theme music is Err by Steve Tibbetts, and it appears here by permission of the artist, courtesy of ECM Records. Please find us on iTunes and YouTube under APT Talkbacks to Go. With Orange Schroeder, I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening.